Hello, and welcome back to the Braxton Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Gidding. This week on Campfire Stories, Chapter 11, Preparing. So let's go get that campfire started, and we'll nestle in for a good story. The Kings of Braxton, Born Unto Trouble, Chapter 11, Preparing. One. It had been a week since Neil had found out the true identity of the German. The night was moonless and still as Neil made his way through a dense wooded area two miles from town. In the middle of the woods sat a long abandoned home that looked from the outside like it might tumble over with the next strong gust. This was the childhood home of Frankie Beerman. It sat in the center of a clearing far from the main road and had a mile-long winding dirt road leading to it that stopped at the entrance of a shed that was in worse shape than the old house. There was a slight glow coming from oil lamps inside the home and hanging on the front porch. It was clearly no longer abandoned. Neil walked through the densely wooded area quietly, mindful of every step he took. His eyes were focused on the house in the clearing, about thirty yards away, and down a slight hill. Four men kept watch at the back of the house, and Neil assumed there were at least as many, if not more, in the front. He crept near the edge of the tree line to get a better view, and the dim glow from an oil lamp in a room at the back of the house caught his attention. A phone rang, and a thin man walked into the room. It was the German, Frankie Beerman. He picked up the phone and began talking. Neil took a few steps closer to hear what was being said, being careful not to make noise or be seen by the guards. Frankie looked upset and began to talk loud enough for Neil to hear bits and pieces. Doggone it! I told you it was a bad idea from the beginning! Yes, yes, I understand it's going to take time, but I'm tired of waiting around. I know they survived. That's the point. We should be out there right now, doing our best to draw them in, Frankie hollered. He turned and looked out the window, and Neil crouched down a bit more. Frankie had been disfigured in the attack on his unit in the war. He had burned scars starting at the back of his head and covering the top, then wrapping around to the right side of his face. They were not horrible scars, just enough to be seen and prevent him from growing any hair. We need to hit another place, something like we did at Lefty's. Make a point and scare the shit out of the people to draw those bastards out into the open. The deal was for me to kill them, and that's what I'm going to do. Frankie paused. A few more days. Frankie walked away from the window, making the rest of his conversation impossible to hear. Neil slowly crept around to the front of the house, silently stepping over fallen branches and trees. Once he'd made his way around, he saw six men standing guard. Two of them stood on the front porch, 
where two oil lamps burned just bright enough to light the porch itself. The other four were scattered along the lawn, but close to the house. There were three cars in the grass along the dirt road, and all looked like they'd seen better days. They might have been stolen for use in their crimes, or just cars that were never cared for. But they had lots of damage and bullet holes, and looked like they were on the verge of falling apart. This spot was the perfect hideout, secluded, dark, and had only a few electrical wires running through the property. Clearly, only the phone wire was working, as the house was lit only by the oil lamps. The dirt road leading to it was hard to find during the day, and even harder at night, due to the overgrowth from years of abandonment. You would have to know where it was, or you would drive right past it. Neil only knew about it because it's where Frankie and his father lived before they left town, and he had followed them there many times. Neil stood quietly for a moment, watching the men who were well-armed, but most likely not well-trained. He took a step closer, and a small branch under his foot cracked, attracting the attention of one of the guards, who looked over in Neil's direction. Neil quickly but quietly dropped to the ground behind a fallen tree as the guard headed that way. He was a short, stout man with a pot-marked face and bushy eyebrows. He stopped five feet from Neil, who was laying as flat and still as he could. With his face to the ground and his right hand on his pistol, just in case. Neil controlled his breathing as the guard looked around. He seemed hesitant, not wanting to go too far into the dark woods, which was good for Neil, who was just beyond the fallen tree. Lifting his double-barreled shotgun, he looked down its barrel to scan the area. A few tense moments later, the guard lowered his gun and returned to his previous position. Neil slowly rose. Holy cow, he thought to himself. I was too close. He leaned against a nearby tree, keeping his eyes fixed on the front of the house. After a while, the front door opened, and Frankie came out with a brandy pipe pinched between his teeth. The boards of the porch squeaked and nearly buckled as he walked to the steps and stood looking around. The guard to his left of Frankie walked over to him and they began talking. Their conversation was not loud enough for Neil to hear, and he contemplated moving closer, but thought better of it. He knew it was too risky. He could be spotted, or worse, captured. Neil turned and silently walked away from the house, returning to his car he'd left a few miles up the road. 2. Early the next morning, Sam and Neil sat at the kitchen table in the farmhouse as Neil explained the events of his excursion the night before and the conversation he'd overheard. Then we have to go in tonight. No more waiting, no more holding off for the perfect moment. That moment is now. It's time to take down that son of a bitch, Sam growled in anger. We'll get with Junior and see how many men he can spare, Neil said. After the inn, he might be hesitant, but get with John and Marcus. 
I know they'll want to be a part of this. Maybe Al will be back in town and he can help us out in some way. Liz walked in, rubbing her eyes, followed by Carol. Morning, ladies. We're going out tonight. We're gonna finish this, Neil said. So now you can get off my back, Carol, Sam added. It's too early for your shit, Sam, she snapped as she poured herself a cup of coffee. She also poured one for Liz, who took it over to the table and sat next to Sam. Morning. Going after Frankie? she asked. Sounds like he's wanting another slaughter. We have to stop him before he can kill any more innocent people, Sam said. I want to go with you, Liz said with determination. I don't think so, Neil scoffed. You don't want to get started down this path, Carol added. Liz looked at Sam for his reaction, but he remained silent. She pleaded her case. That Peckerwood is responsible for the misery I've been through the past several weeks, and I want to be there when he's brought to his knees. Neil looked to Sam, who remained silent. If you start down the path of revenge, it will take over, and you will never be satisfied. You'll be chasing it for the rest of your life. Neil paused and looked back at Sam. You gonna chime in here? He asked. Can you shoot? Sam asked Liz. No. Can you drive? No. Can you fight? No. Can you... Sam, stop it! Carol interrupted. Sam looked into Liz's eyes and saw the stubbornness. She had her mind made up. You're not going, Sam began. I'm not putting you in harm's way, just so you can find something that I know damn well you ain't gonna find out there. Sam was stern because he knew the risks of having her along, not only to her, but to the rest of the group, including the risk of him not being able to focus on the fight for always worrying about her. Neil and Carol sighed in relief. I want to see the look on that bastard's face when you knock him off his high horse, Liz declared. Sam and Neil understood her need for closure better than anyone, but they also knew the risk was far too high. Their lives were turned upside down because of their own need for closure and revenge. I'm going to make some calls, Neil said as he walked out of the kitchen. You could die. This is no game. Sam began as he took Liz by the hand. I know what you're feeling right now. Liz pulled her hand back and left the room without a word. She was angry and did not like being told what she could and could not do. Carol watched Sam for a moment and saw the hurt and confusion in his expression. She saw things from a different point of view as the worried wife waiting for news after a fight knowing the possibility of losing her husband to his need for heroics, and she didn't want Liz to live that way. She just wanted it all to be over. There was a long period of silence as Sam drank the coffee that Liz had left behind. Finally, Carol broke the silence. Go to her, Sam, she stated. Go to her and make her know that you love her. Make her realize that your life is no way for her to live. Sam said nothing. 
You can't hide forever, Sam. One day, you're going to have to open up to somebody and let that person love you. Carol said, You've known me long enough. You know most of the things I've done. So you should know that I don't deserve anyone's love. Sam said, staring into the steaming cup of coffee. That's where you're wrong. I love you, Neil loves you, and Al loves you. Carol took a seat across the table from Sam. You've done things I can't even imagine doing. But you did them for the good of your town. What you did in France, the nightmares you went through over there, I could never understand. I only know about the church. I don't know what else you guys had to do over there, but I'm sure you did what you had to, to stay alive and to fight for your country. Sam wiped a tear from the corner of his eye. You put your life on the line for the country, and you put it on the line here all the time for Braxton. You are a good person, and I, for one, love you for that. Even though I hate the fighting, I love you both for having the courage to stand up for what's right. Sam stood and hesitated for a moment as Neil walked back in. Just talk to Junior, little brother. He's in. He said he'll get some men together and they'll meet us at the bridge on Adams Street at 8. We'll go in on foot from there, Neil said. That gives us plenty of time to make plans. We have to do this right. No more traps, no more surprises, Sam reiterated. I also got with Marcus, who's going to get John and head over here in about an hour, Neil began. If we fall into another trap, we know it's someone close to us. But I'm kind of hoping to avoid that. Go, Sam. Take care of Liz, Carol urged him when he seemed to be lingering, not wanting to deal with it. We'll work out the details when they get here. Neil said to push Sam. Sam walked out of the kitchen and into the hall. Looking out the window and the door, he saw Liz sitting on the back porch. Three. Sam walked out and took a seat next to Liz with a sinking feeling in his gut. He wanted to convince her not to seek revenge, but didn't quite know how to do it. His own need for revenge had led him to the life he now had, complete with the demons that had haunted him for years. He never liked confrontation with family or loved ones, and his palms began to sweat. He was afraid he would upset Liz, or even worse, push her away. But maybe that would be for the best. The morning light flattered her pale skin and made her naturally dark lips pop. Her beauty had always made it hard for Sam to talk to her, and this situation made it worse. His stomach felt like it dropped to the ground. Liz looked up at him with those big green eyes. They were truly a window into her soul, and Sam could almost read her mind by studying them. Liz turned her gaze to the cornfield, trying not to look at Sam. She was afraid that if she did... She would cry. She was angry, not at Sam, but at the whole situation. The German, the slaughter at lefties, her kidnapping, and 
Her desire to just make it all go away kept nagging at her. Her love for a reluctant Sam didn't help the situation either. I want to kill him, Sam, Liz said with fierce determination. Killing a person isn't like you might think, Sam began. The first one is hard. It hurts, and it will stay with you. You'll see their face in your sleep. You'll see it every day until the second one, which is a bit easier. With the third, you become something else, a monster with no soul, and every person you kill will follow you around until the day you die. You'll see them everywhere you go, and when you sleep, even looking back at you in the mirror. Sam described for her, trying not to think of all his kills. I haven't been scared like this in a long time, Sam, she said, tearing up. Not since before I met you. Sam put his hand gently on her knee, and the thin material of her skirt was smooth, and he could feel the warmth of her skin. It sent a slight shiver up his spine and back down to his gut. I know how you feel, he said warmly. How could you? You're always so calm. You face danger on a regular basis. What would you know about fear? Sam laughed. I might seem calm on the outside, but it's only because I've faced danger so many times that I've learned to hide everything. Being scared is normal. I'm always scared. Whatever I am is far from normal. But I carry on because of the fear. It keeps me safe and lets me know that I'm one step away from death. You're scared too? She asked incredulously as Sam wiped the tears from her smooth cheeks. More than you could imagine. I'm going into the unknown tonight to face someone who was evil enough to slaughter innocent people just to further his own agenda. I have to worry about my brother, who means the world to me. I have to worry about his wife and returning him to her. I have to worry about Al, everything he has done for us over the years. I can't have you there with us. I would be too worried about you and not focused on the task at hand. It could get people killed, Sam explained. He paused as he pulled his pipe and tobacco pouch from his pocket and held them loosely in his hands. There's a constant knot in my stomach that has been there for too many years. Having you around this past week has loosened it just a bit. And I want it to stay that way. I want to kill him, Sam. Liz reaffirmed in a shaky voice. I know. Sam acknowledged. But once you start down that road, it will consume your life. It's an unquenchable thirst, no matter how many villains I kill, criminals I send to jail, or innocent victims I save. Sam stopped, pausing to choke back emotion as he loaded his pipe. I can't kill them all. Send them all to jail, save them all, and I can't quench that thirst to do more, be more, save more people, or kill more.
I always ask myself if there was something more I could have done. He paused and removed his hand from Liz's knee. The faces of the past will haunt me till the day I die. I know that. But I don't want you to have to deal with the same demons, he said mournfully. Liz leaned her head on Sam's shoulder, and he put his arm around her, holding her tight as she let out her fears and pain through tears. It's going to be over soon, he assured her. I just want you to be safe and happy, but I will not let one conflict with the other. Stay here tonight with Carol, and let me and Neil do what we were born to do. Let us make the world just a little bit safer for everyone. 4. Neil, John, Marcus, and Sam stood over the kitchen table, looking at a crude drawing Neil had made of the house where Frankie was hiding. The four men studied the sketch to find weak spots and potential escape routes, not only for Frankie, but for themselves as well, just in case. We'll go in this way, Neil said, pointing to a spot just to the right of the dirt road. You two can come at it from the back and circle around from here, just before the drive, Sam said to Marcus and John, drawing a path with his finger. Marcus pointed to the spot where the cars were parked. These might not be in the same place. There could be more cars or less. But if they're close enough, they might be useful cover for you guys. John and I will stop here in the back and keep this spot covered. Looks to be good cover with the tree line and enough open space to keep an eye out. Neil spat tobacco juice into a coffee mug and drew a line in the front of the house with his finger. Once we get here, we need to switch to close quarters weapons. Handguns only. Maybe a shotgun. But as we get here and you two lead the force in through the back, we have to worry about crossfire. So find and identify your targets before you shoot. It's a small house. Sam spoke up. I prefer to take Frankie alive. He needs to pay for his crimes. If you see him and must shoot him, Take out a leg, a kneecap, but try not to kill him. He's not hard to miss. Neil says his face is all scarred up. This here, Neil pointed to the spot where he had hidden in the front, is a good vantage point for whoever is going to cover the front. There's a big old log on the ground, perfect for cover. Junior walked into the kitchen and over to the table. He looked over the map for a moment while the others filled him in on their plans thus far. What about the road? Who's covering it? He asked. Well, how about you puncture a few tires on the cars here so they can't drive away? And we'll put an officer or two about halfway down to stop any runners. That's if we can get enough men together, Sam suggested. Maybe you could be our cover. Hiding here with your rifle by the log, Neil added. I'm okay with that. I'll take out any runners, Junior said. Okay, and take that new guy you got. Nathan, I think his name was. He was at the inn with us, Sam said. Yeah, he'd be a good help, Junior replied. So we're good on the plan. We have angles covered. 
escape routes covered, and a good plan for entry. Let's get ready and meet at the bridge tonight. Junior, get as many men as you can. We need it to go off without a hitch this time. We can't afford to let Frankie get away, and we can't do it with just the five of us, Sam said as he folded the hand-drawn map. The three men left the farmhouse and went out to prepare for the night's raid, while Sam and Neil lingered in the kitchen. Neil poured some shine for them as Sam took a seat and rested his head on his arms. You know what this means, right? Sam asked Neil. No. Neil replied as he set the shine on a nearby counter. Neil paused and smiled, suddenly understanding what Sam was saying. It's time to get the box, Sam replied with a smirk. Just then, Liz and Carol walked in. What box? Liz asked. The box was where Sam and Neil kept all the weapons they took off the people they killed or captured. It was really a wooden crate and a canvas bag, but they referred to them collectively as simply the box. And it had every type of weapon imaginable, from guns to knives to even a few swords and grenades. The treasure box. I'll get it. You'll see. Sam said with a smile. Then he left the room. How bad is it going to be tonight? Carol asked Neil. Well, we figure it's going to get messy. I know for a fact that he has at least eight guys there. But I'm sure there will be more tonight as they plan for their next slaughter, Neil explained. He took a seat next to Carol at the table and kissed her on the cheek. If you don't come home to me tonight, I'll kill you, Carol said sharply. Liz chuckled quietly as she grabbed Sam's jar of shine and took a swig. Neil turned to Liz. This is just what we do. I risk my life, she threatens to kill me if I don't come home to her, and I always return to her. There was a thump in the hall just outside the kitchen, and Neil looked to the doorway in anticipation. Here it comes, he said, as he stood and made room on the table. Sam entered the kitchen carrying a large wooden crate with rope handles on either side. He also had a long canvas bag strapped over his shoulder. He set the box down next to the table and opened it. Then he placed the canvas bag next to it. Liz looked in the crate and saw handguns, knives, clubs, holsters, axes, a few grenades, and lots and lots of ammunition of all sorts. Sam unzipped the canvas bag as Liz watched. It was full of shotguns, rifles, Thompsons, BARs, and two swords. Wow. You guys are ready for war, Liz exclaimed. The brothers pulled weapons from the box and bag and placed them on the kitchen table. This was always like Christmas for them, and the girls watched as the table was covered. Liz removed the jar of shine and held it in her hand to give them even more space. Sam pulled a B.A.R. out and hung the strap of it over a chair. Then he did the same with the rifle and holsters. At the bottom of the box was another smaller box, which held even more ammo for different types of guns. Carol looked unhappy that her kitchen had become an armory. "'Do you really need all these tonight?' Liz asked. "'No,' 
not us, but there's going to be a bunch of guys there tonight with us, and we need all of them to be well armed. Sam explained as he attached a grenade to his gun belt. Is that really going to be needed? Carol asked. Neil began to load bullets into a revolver. It might be. We don't know what we're walking into, he replied. Sam loaded a drum for the Thompson, then attached it and handed the gun to Liz. What am I supposed to do with this? She asked as she took it. You said you want to fight. So I need you to keep this with you tonight while we're gone. Just in case. Just aim and squeeze the trigger. Don't pull the trigger. Squeeze it. Sam reached over and slid the bolt back, making it ready for use. Now it's ready. Just fire when needed. You have fifty rounds, he said. Neil continued loading shells into the many shotguns, and Carol picked up a magazine for a handgun and began to load it. She was used to helping the boys prepare for a fight, but was never glad to do it. This time, however, she felt like it might just be the last time. Once the guns were prepped for the raid, Sam and Neil loaded the arsenal into Sam's car. We need to relax and get ready for tonight, Sam said to Neil. I'm heading home. I'll see you in a few hours. Liz followed Sam as he walked to his house. They sat on the couch in the sitting room, and Neil pulled a cigar from his shirt pocket, lighting it with the last wooden match from the box he had taken off the would-be assassin. He puffed for a moment, then set it down in a nearby ashtray. Liz leaned against Sam, who allowed it, but didn't necessarily embrace it either. The ticking of a small clock on the mantel reminded Liz that Sam would soon be leaving to once again do what he had been reared for. Each tick meant one more second closer to him leaving, one second closer to her waiting up all night, and one second closer to the possibility of losing him. As Sam said quietly, he had another hallucination. This was of himself standing in the corner, pointing to the clock. He was wearing his army uniform and was covered in blood. Sam didn't let on to Liz that he was seeing himself. He tried to keep his visions to himself as much as possible. The hallucination had an M1 Grand Rifle strapped over his shoulder and was holding Sam's prized Colt 1889 in his right hand. But there was something different about the revolver. It was shiny, nickel-plated, and reflecting the sunlight from the window. Sam couldn't figure out the meaning of the difference, but knew it was significant. He stared at himself, trying to decipher the message that his mind was giving him. Come back to me, Sam, Liz said almost in a whisper. Sam kissed her on the forehead gently, but said nothing. The hallucination had a grim look on his face, one that explained how Sam was feeling at that moment. He hadn't uttered a word, but Sam heard him loud and clear. It was almost time to leave and possibly meet his fate. The hallucination spun the revolver in a cowboy manner and returned it to its holster, which was covered in so much blood that it dripped onto the hardwood floor, leaving a puddle. At the sight of the blood, Sam realized that his vision was telling him he would not survive the night. 
He picked up his cigar and took a deep drag. I know you love me, Sam, Liz began. And I know you're scared of that. Sam turned to her and kissed her forehead once again. This time it was a long and gentle kiss. In his mind, he wondered if it might just be the last kiss he'd ever give. I'll be waiting for you. And not just tonight. Liz stretched to kiss Sam gently on the lips. I'll be waiting when you're ready. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I hope you enjoyed Chapter 11, Preparing. Next week, Chapter 12, The Capture. If you like what you're hearing, please share this show with others. Also, if you're interested, you can hop over to Amazon.com and buy The Kings of Braxton, Born Under Trouble. Thank you very much for stopping by.